How many are happy to be in God's house this morning? Can you say amen? amen. How good is God? I said, how good? You get so used to saying something there. All the time. Oh, oh. How big is God? All the time. Oh, you got to think about it. God is good. That wasn't a trick. You can say it that time. Yes, he is. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just pray as we come before the word of God. Father, today, I pray you would open up the windows of heaven and that you would pour your spirit upon us in abundance. You'd open up our eyes. You'd open up our ears. You'd open up our minds. You'd open up our hearts. And that you'd teach us to run with you. Father, it's time for us to grow up now. And so I pray that you would cause us to speak the truth in love and so grow up in all things into him who is the head. Amen. And we give you all of the glory and all of the honor today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 The Sunday before last, I preached a message entitled Growing Up. How many were here the Sunday before last? Lift your hand. Okay. So if you were not here, maybe you, miss, maybe you listened to it on the podcast. Uh, whether you did or not uh, is not of great consequence, but the message I preached was called Growing Up, and in it I identified four dimensions of God's love that he desires us to grow up into. Now, over the past two weeks since I preached this message, God has continued to give me greater and greater insight into the subject, and I'm beginning to see that this is a major key for empowering us to grow up fully in Christ. And so I've decided to take this subject up again and to consider each of these dimensions of spiritual growth that we talked about two weeks ago in greater detail yeah. in the hopes that God's going to give us greater and deeper understanding of how to grow in each of these areas and of precisely what that growth looks like. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and following the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and following as we begin to consider these things. And while you're turning there, can I ask, is it cold in here? Is anybody cold? Lift your hand. Take a vote. All right, just turn it off. Can you just turn it off? Mm. Ephesians three fourteen. this is what it says. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Amen. Now in this passage of scripture, Paul identifies four dimensions of spiritual growth. Wideness, <laughs> length, height, and depth. Four dimensions of spiritual growth. He says, I pray that God would give you power to grasp 
Another, another version, it says power to comprehend. Power not simply to understand in your mind, but to apprehend with your heart. Power to get a hold of and to possess these four dimensions of life in God. The wideness of God's love. To grasp how wide is the love of Christ. The length of God's love. To grasp how long is the love of Christ. The height of God's love. To grasp how high is the love of Christ. And the depth of God's love. To grasp how deep is the love of Christ. Now notice that there's a progression here and that depth is at the end of the progression. Ultimately, God wants to take us into the depths of his love, into the place where we begin to see the things that are invisible. But before we go deep with God, we've got to learn how to go wide with God. Amen. Before we go deep with God, we've got to learn how to go long with God. And before we go deep with God, we've got to learn how to go high with God. Now this morning, I'm going to speak on the subject of the wideness of God's love. Next Sunday, I'm going to speak on the subject of the length of God's love. The following Sunday, I'm going to speak on the subject of the height of God's love. And the fourth Sunday from today, I'm going to speak on the subject of the depth of God's love. God wants to take us wider, longer, higher, and deeper. And each of these are a dimension of spiritual growth. What we are after is a well-rounded, fully-orbed, multidimensional spiritual growth rather than a lopsided, one-way-focused, reductionistic spiritual growth. I mean, when you ask somebody, have you grown spiritually? When somebody tells you, I've grown so much spiritually, typically there's maybe one or two things that we can put our finger on, right? Somebody says, I've grown so much spiritually. Really? How? Um, I've learned more of the Bible. Okay, that's cool, but that's one dimension. I've grown so much spiritually. Really? How? Um, I learned 10 new worship songs. Okay, that's nice, but that's one dimension. Can you imagine a baby with adult legs? No way. Little baby upper body, but adult legs. That's like believers. The only part of spiritual growth you got is you learn more of the Bible. Little, just adult legs, but little baby body. Still talking, goo goo gaga, goo goo. But big old adult leg, that'd be, the, that'd be a freak. Can you imagine a baby with adult arms? Little tiny baby legs can't even stand up, but big old adult arms. What happens when we do not understand the full picture of what spiritual maturity looks like? We tend to focus on one kind of growth, and that one kind of growth causes us to mature in only one area, and it makes us lopsided believers. we got too many lopsided believers in the body of Christ, and it's time to grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. Now look at your other neighbor and say, it's time for you to grow up too. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. I don't want anybody sitting here sit thinking, man, Frank needs to be here. <laughs> this is for Frank. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, can I be Frank? <laughs> Hello, Frank. Mm. 
So today, we're focusing on the wideness of God's love. What do I mean by the wideness of God's love? The wideness of God's love is its all-encompassing character. The wideness of God's love is its all-encompassing character. The wideness of God's love is manifested in the fact that he loves all people at all times and in all places. He loves everybody. That's what it means to say that his love is wide. It encompasses everybody. It leaves nobody out. He loves everyone. John articulates this truth in words that have become the iconic statement of the truth of the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, notice the inclusivity of the language, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the fundamental truth of the gospel. God loves everybody. My daughter, she loves the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. I sang that, we sang that song so many times the other day, she said, again, we sang it again. She said, again. Sing it again. She kept saying again and again. And you know what? Sometimes we need to sing that song again. We need to rescue that song from Sunday school because some of us don't believe it. Some of us aren't living it. We need to know that Jesus loves the little children. And when he sees little children, he doesn't see people who are, are, are five years old. He sees all of us as little children. And he loves all the little children of the world. Red, yellow, black, white, green, purple. Whatever color you are, he loves you. But this is a scandalous truth. We don't often stop and look at the scandalous character of the truth of the love of God. God's love is a scandal. It's scandalous. It really is. God loves people that we would rather he not love. I mean, God loves people. If we, if we got a chance to counsel him, we'd say, God, I, I don't know about this one. I think you need to rethink this person here. I, I, I think you need to take them off of your love list. Do you know what they've done? Do you know what kind of person is that, that I mean, I know your love is great and all, but for, for crying out loud. Now, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. And this means two things. First, it means that he does not regard one man above another, but he regards all men equally. That's right. He sees us all equal. Before God, we are all equal. That's what it means that God does not respect persons. He's no respecter of persons. But secondly, it means that God is not bound by human loyalties. You remember when Joshua in Joshua 5, he was standing outside of Jericho and he saw the angel of the Lord standing with a drawn sword? Remember the question he asked the angel? He said, are you on my side or on the side of my enemies? And the angel said, neither. He said, then whose side are you on? He said, I'm on the Lord's side. See, we often want to know if God is on our side, but actually the question is, are you on God's side? 
We think coming to Christ means that God joins our team. In actuality, we join his team. Now, if you're on my team, then before you invite people onto my team, you need to come talk to me. But God invites folks on the team without talking to us. I've had some people already come to me and say, why'd you put me in his small group? I don't want to be in his small group. And honestly, I've moved people around. I've gone to, I've gone to Pastor Direct. Pastor, Pastor Direct, we've got to move this person out of this. These two people are going to kill each other if we leave them in the small group. You know, God will put people in your small group. He'll put people in your church that you would rather not be in your church. And sometimes you can even leave the church because you don't like who else is up in there. You say, I better find another church because I can't be in the same church with this person. Let me tell you something. There's going to be people in heaven that you can't stand. And they will be there together. And if you fool around with God, he'll make you share a mansion with that person forever. God's love is not bound by human loyalty And this is demonstrated in the fact that he loves people, even the people who have hurt you. Even the people who have mistreated you. Even the people who have abused you. Can you imagine how some of the members of the early church must have felt when they found out that Paul had got saved? And that Jesus had appeared to him? What? You know how long I've been praying for a revelation? You don't know how many times I asked him to appear to me, Lord, let me see you, and then you find out that this murderer, this Christian killer, gets a vision of Jesus? He got, Jesus came to him like that? Oh, heck no. And there's no word there that, that Jesus calls together the early church and says, I, I need to call a meeting of the members of the early church. Everybody here? here? Um, listen, uh, I'm thinking about saving Paul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. I, I just wanted to see how you all felt about it before I saved him. And I know some of you here are mad at him because he killed, I know, Bob, he killed your uncle. I, Ryan, he killed your brother. And half, all of you here have some family members and relatives that he put away in prison for the rest of their lives. They'll never see the light of day again. All of you are mad at him, but I, I just, I want you to pray about it because I'm thinking about saving him. But I want to wait till you all accept it first. I want to wait till you're all okay with it before I make that move because I don't want to do anything to. He did not ask their permission. He saved him and then sent him to the early church and said, deal with it. It's scandalous. It belongs in the Christian tabloids. Scandal! Front page! Jesus saves Christian killers. Christians are outraged. How could he? Because in the natural, we live by human loyalties. If you start hanging out with the people I can't stand, I'm gonna feel I'm gonna feel betrayed by you, personally betrayed. God is not interested in whether or not he has your permission to save folk. Mm -hmm. 
He saves without asking for your permission, without seeking your counsel, without soliciting your perspective. You can keep it. He loves indiscriminately. indiscriminately. He loves without discretion. He loves recklessly. And he does so because he sees that the power of the sacrifice of his son to save is greater than the power of the sin of man to destroy. Did you hear that? The power of the sacrifice of Jesus to save is greater than the power of sin, the sin of man, to destroy. That means that whoever hurt you and whatever they did to you, as bad as it was, it is not nearly as great as the power of Jesus Christ to save. Meaning that person's power to harm you is nowhere near as great as the power of Jesus to save you. He is powerful enough even to save the people who hurt you. You know what? Regardless of what man does to me, the effects of it are temporary. Remember Jesus said, don't fear him who has the power to kill the body, but that's it. Can't touch the soul. Even if somebody were to kill me and cut me up into pieces and put me in their soup and eat me, the effects of that are temporary. Because I'm going to be absent from the body in a few moments, but then I'm going to be present with the Lord for eternity. And even what he did to my physical body is temporary because the day is coming when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know what that means? That means that on the day the Lord descends from heaven with that shout, with that voice of the archangel and with the blast of that trumpet, my, the ground is going to open up and my tomb is going to open up. And even if my body has been cut into little bits and pieces, that body's going to come back together. It was sown a physical body, but it's raised a spiritual body. It was sown a corruptible body, but it's raised an incorruptible body. And you know what? I'm going to have perfect health with the Lord forevermore. So I don't, even if you cut me up, it's temporary. But the salvation of Jesus is eternal. And that's why he is able to go to people who have committed temporary sin, regardless of how heinous it is, and offer them eternal salvation. Because the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was not temporary. It was an eternal sacrifice. And it has the power to cover any temporary sin. I don't care how bad it was, the power of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that the blood will never lose its power. I'm telling you that it reaches to the highest mountain. I'm telling you that it flows to the lowest valley. I'm telling you that this blood that gives me strength from day to day, it shall never lose its power. He is mighty to save. And he has the right to save also. He has the right to save because he offered his blood on the cross. He has the right to save because the price that he paid transcends any human loyalties. Scandalous love. Let me ask you a question. Can you love scandalously with God? How scandalous is your love? I mean, is your love scandalous enough to warrant an article in the tabloid? Have you ever loved so deeply that it upset somebody? How scandalous is your love? You know what I'm talking about when I talk about scandalous love? I'm talking about the kind of love that causes you to love your enemies, to bless those who curse you. 
to do good to those who hate you, to, to pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Because, see, if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? There's nothing scandalous about that. If you only like the people who like you, what, what? You know, well, he's a good friend. That doesn't say, well, he's got Christ-like character. Why? Because he's a loyal friend. Yeah, to those who are loyal to him. Right. There you go. Don't even tax collectors do that? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even tax collectors do so? Therefore, you be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5, 44 through 48. Go home and read the Sermon on the Mount. You want to talk about scandalous love? It's not just something that God does. It's something he expects us to do. He commands us to love scandalously. When was the last time you had a prayer meeting for your enemies? And a prayer meeting in which you were not asking God to destroy them. <laughs> Lord, pay them back for this. Lord, you see what he did to me. Don't let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Come on, somebody. When was the last time you blessed someone who cursed you? Without actually envisioning the flip, the flip side of it. Lord, I bless him. In, in the back of your mind thinking, because that's the way I'm going to rain hot coals on his head. That's it right there. Can you love scandalously with God? With God? Because, see, we like to get it in our heads that God needs us to give his love to people. Can I tell you that God does not need you to give his love to anybody? And that if you decide not to love people, you have not robbed them of any love whatsoever. God is already loving folk. He's inviting you to join him in loving people. Not to give love on his behalf. As if you're powerful enough to cut anybody off from the love of Christ. The Bible teaches us that nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of Christ. Do you think I'm missing some of Christ's love because you don't love me? Right. I don't need your love. God's going to give me his love regardless of whether you do or not. But let me tell you something. You can join him in loving me, and I can join him in loving you. And suddenly we discover what it means to fellowship with God in loving the world. That's what it means that God wants to widen us. He wants to take us into the wideness of his love. The wideness of God's love is in its power to immediately <laughs> forgive. Amen. God's love is so powerful that it immediately forgives even the worst of sinners. Immediately. He doesn't take time to think it over. He doesn't take time to reflect upon it. He doesn't take time to get over it. He doesn't say, you know, okay, I've heard you. I know you repented. But get out of my presence. I'm going to need some time to deal with this. And then he walks back and forth in heaven. I can't believe he did that. After all I've done for him, sent my son to die for him, he doesn't know half the stuff I saved him from. He should have been dead a long time ago. I see, Holy Spirit, write down everything we did for him and let's tell him so he knows how bad what he did is. Call him back in my presence. 
Do you realize how bad it is what you did? Get out of my presence. Come back in a couple of weeks. I told you I was serving at another church one time, and there was the irritating brother in the church. You know the irritating brother in the church? Everybody knows that every church has at least one irritating brother. Or sister. God is no respecter of persons. It's neither male nor female in Christ. The irritating brother. You know, I was talking to one of the other pastors in the church about the irritating brother in the church. And that pastor said to me, you know, people just don't give him a chance. And tears welled up in that pastor's eyes. He says, I don't know, I don't know why, but nobody gives him a chance. If people would just give him a chance, that brother, they would see how awesome that brother is. They would see that he's not just an irritation, but that, that he's an awesome, he's a wonderful person and, and that God loves him, but people don't give him a chance. And a couple weeks later, that brother, the irritating brother was up in the truck and that pastor was standing under the truck. They were loading stuff on the truck and that irritating brother was holding a dolly and he just dropped it and just let it go. And that big steel dolly fell on that pastor's head. Bam! Blood was coming out of his head, and that pastor was nearly knocked unconscious. The brother jumped down off the truck and said, Oh, pastor, I'm sorry. The pastor said, Don't speak to me for at least a month. I waited till the situation was over. I went up to that pastor. I said, you got to give him a chance. I said, See, people just don't give him a chance. The forgiveness of God doesn't take a month. It takes a moment. He said, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And how long? A moment. Can you love scandalously? Can you forgive scandalously? Or are you still trying to work it out? Do you realize that so much of what we struggle with as believers in Jesus Christ comes from unforgiveness, not the devil? We're rebuking the devil to try to get out of torment, but we don't realize that we're being tormented by our own unforgiveness and not by the devil all the, oftentimes. Do you remember the parable Jesus told of the man who was called into his boss's office and his boss said, you owe me 1,000 talents of gold? And the man said, give me time and I'll pay you all. And the master had compassion on him and canceled his debt. But then he went out and grabbed his brother and said, you owe me a dollar. Pay me right now. And the brother said, give me time and I'll pay you all. But he took him and threw him in prison and said, you're going to stay there until you pay everything. When the master heard of it, he called the man in his office and said, didn't I forgive you the debt of a thousand talents of gold? How could you hold this against your brother? And he reinstated his debt and threw him in prison and handed him over to the torturers, the scripture says. Unforgiveness causes you to be handed over to the torturers. And there's people in the body of Christ who are oppressed, but not by the devil, but by their own unforgiveness. God has handed you over to the torturers. But let me tell you something. You can get free in a moment if you'll simply make a decision. He forgave me. I'm going to forgive others. And he forgave me in a moment. I'm going to forgive others in a moment. Because if you realize how quickly he forgave you and what a great debt of sin he forgave you from, then suddenly you begin to forgive scandalously the way he scandalously forgave you. He didn't hold my sin against me. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. He didn't hold it against me, but he held it against his own son, Jesus Christ. How can I hold anyone's sin against them? Scandalous love. Power of immediate forgiveness. God wants to widen you. 
He wants to take you into the wideness of his love. And when he takes you into the wideness of his love, he begins to broaden your horizons. He begins to broaden your perspective. And suddenly you begin to love everyone you see the way God loves everyone he sees. You learn how to love scandalously. You know, the wideness of God's love is also manifested in the fact that he uses people that you'd rather he not use. That's right. Not only does he love people you'd rather he not love, he uses people that you'd rather he not use. Say, God, you anointed that person? You must be crazy. Lord, I'm going to give you five reasons why this person does not deserve the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You should not use their life for anything. remember Moses? Mm-hmm. You remember in Exodus chapter 2, somewhere around verse 14, when he saw those two brothers fighting two Israelites? Two, he says, brothers, stop it, brothers, brothers. And they looked at him and said, who made you ruler and judge? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what the answer to that question is, right? God. God made him ruler and judge, but those brothers couldn't see it. You know what they saw? They saw a man who lived in privilege while they lived in slavery. They saw a man who grew up in Pharaoh's house while they grew up in the pit. They saw a man who watched them bake bricks every day, and they resented him, and they were angry at him. They didn't want him as their deliverer. What they could not see was the work of God in his life. What they could not see was that he wasn't just privileged. He didn't just have not have to go through what they went through, but God had pulled him out of that as a sign that he was pulling them out of that. They couldn't see that God had sanctified him in his generation and made him the deliverer and put his anointing on his life wow. on their behalf. All they saw was a man who was privileged, lived up in the palace while they lived down into the valley. Who made you ruler and judge? Think we respect you? Think we think anything of you? At 735, the Bible says, this is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. Who made you ruler and judge? We must be careful with familiarity. Familiarity causes us to see each other in the natural. And the moment we begin to see each other in the natural, we cease to see the clear work of the Spirit of God in each other's lives. Because when you think you're going to humble a person whom God has exalted, now you're getting in the way of God. Jesus had the same problem, didn't he? Grew up in Nazareth. And when he went back to Nazareth, thought he'd have a revival. You know, I talk to people who say, Pastor Benjamin, how's your book doing? It's doing all right. Is it selling a lot? It's okay. It's okay. I bet the churches you pastor, everybody there bought one. Uh, No, not really. I bet all of your family members bought one too, huh? Uh, No, no, not really. No, No, not really. Not really. Jesus, you probably had a huge revival in Nazareth, huh? No, not not so much. No, not so much. You know why? Because when he came into Nazareth, that's that's Joseph's kid. I remember that kid. I've known him since before he was born. That boy, he's the carpenter's son. I used to... Him and his dad made my table and chairs. What you talking about? He's the Messiah. Messiah. 
Messiah my tail. Now he's running around healing folk, holding revivals. Don't nobody want to go to his revival? Go in there and make me another table and chair. This one's worn out. Familiarity. Too narrow of a view of the work of God because he's just the carpenter's son, but God can't use the carpenter's son because you're too familiar. And it said, in Nazareth, not many mighty works did he do. Why? Because of their unbelief. And it's the second place where it said he marveled. He marveled at their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. Jesus, you must have had a powerful revival in Nazareth. You know everybody there. And that's exactly why that was the least powerful place I've ever ministered. Familiarity. Amen. Amen. What happens when God starts raising up the person next to you and you know all of their flaws and all of their problems? You know every mistake they ever made, but suddenly God raises them up and you're looking at them like, Psh, you and I used to get into trouble together. I remember what you did. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, you search the scriptures for in them, you think you find words of eternal life, but they are the very scriptures that speak of me. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? You study the word till you're blue in the face, but you can't look in my face and see what the Spirit of God is doing in my life. It don't matter if you memorize the entire Bible, if you can't recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of the person sitting next to you. God uses whom he wants to use. He blesses who he wants to bless. He anoints who he wants to anoint, and you simply need to get in agreement with God. He loves even the people who hurt you, and he'll even turn around and use the people who hurt you. Isn't that a trip? That he took Saul of Tarsus and not only saved him, but made him an apostle and put him over the church. He took the guy who had killed half the folks' family members in the church and made him the pastor over the church. You know why he does it? Because he's God. He says, I do what I feel like doing. So God, why'd you do that? Mind your business. You handle your business and I'll handle mine. Is it hot in here? I need the ushers to, to govern the atmosphere. Don't let me ask again. But the wideness of God's love does not cause you to compromise. Follow me here. The wideness of God's love is not an excuse for compromise. People say, I'm going wider with God. You ain't going wider with God. You've gone beyond God. You left him behind. 1 John 2.15 is the counterpoint to John 3.16. Remember, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. But 1 John 2.15 says, Love not the world. Wait, which is it? For God so loved the world. We're supposed to love the world. 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. There's a place in in loving the world where you've gone beyond the love of the Father. And he goes on to say, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. 
and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Amen. Now, here's how we solve this riddle. When it says, for God so loved the world, the result of that is that whoever believes in him should not perish. It means that he loved the people of the world. But when John says, love not the world, he says, whatever is in the world. He means, don't love the things of the world. And then he defines those things as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're supposed to love all people, but we're supposed to hate the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust. Lust is relationship for the sake of self. What is in the world is that people enter into relationships for themselves. For what I can get. For what I can take from you. Now some of us think we're walking in the wideness of God's love. When in reality we're walking in the broad way that leads to destruction. The way that many are walking. But God's love is wide but his way is narrow. Did you hear that? His love is wide but his way is narrow. You got to learn how to walk the the wide way of love, but the narrow way of holiness. Yes. Yes. And love does not cause you to compromise your holiness Amen. any more than God compromises his. God is light. He loves everybody, but he's light, and in him there's no darkness at all. Amen. And then he says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We must learn to walk in the wideness of his love and in the narrowness of his way At the same time, because his love is wide, it encompasses all people. But because his way is narrow, it excludes all sin. Do you hear that? Mm -hmm. You cannot go wide with God and broad with the world at the same time. God loves the sinner, but hates the sin. And he invites us to love the sinner when he tells us that God so loved the world. But he invites us to hate the sin when he commands us, love not the world. And he calls us to do both at the same time. Now, I want to say something about lust, specifically as it relates to sexual sin. Because what has happened in the body of Christ is that we begin to do the opposite of God. God loves all people, but excludes all sin. What we start doing is excluding certain people, but including certain sins. We start taking sin and saying, well, this is okay, we'll deal with it. But we take certain people and say, y'all can't come up in here. We exclude people and include sin. God includes people and excludes sin. And we need to learn how to do the same thing. Now, here's the key. Love has been blamed for sexual sin for far too long. Love covers a multitude of sin. It does not create a multitude of sin. And if you talk to people who have fallen into sexual sin, they will often say, I loved her. (laughs) Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 3. We're going to see something here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Look at your neighbor and say, for this is the will of God. Look at your neighbor. Look them in the eye like you are a prophet of the living God. For this is the will of God. 
your sanctification. Your sanctification. Look at another, look at somebody else say, you better get sanctified. You better quit fooling around. Now let me tell you something. If you're here and you're involved in sexual sin, you just got a prophetic word from the Lord. You know that young lady said, somebody turned around and looked at me and said this, and it changed my life. Somebody just looked at you and gave you one of them right there. <laughs> that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. God wants you to learn how to possess your vessel. Because let me tell you something, if you don't possess your vessel, Satan will. That you would know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Listen to this, verse 6. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Do you realize that if you engage in sexual sin, you have defrauded your brother or your sister? You have defrauded your brother or your sister by engaging with them in sexual immorality. Immorality, Young single people, if you get caught up in sexual sin, you are defrauding one another. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. Stop the press. The Lord is the avenger. If that does not scare your socks off, you are cold. That scares me to death. God is the avenger. If I defraud my brother or sister, God says, I'm putting you on my list and I'm going to get you. God says, I'm going to take vengeance. Oh, snap. Did you get that? I mean, did that? God's. I want you to hear the power of this. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Said, so, well, we were in love. Mm-hmm. And you know, love, when you're in love, when two people are in love, when you're in love, you know, you just can't control yourself sometimes. You know, sometimes love causes these emotions. You defrauded your brother. <laughs> and that ain't love. You know what love is? Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 13 4. Love is patient. You should have waited. Love would have caused you to wait. He went on to say, love always protects. I say to young men all the time, if you loved her, you would have protected her. Don't tell me you took advantage of her because you loved her. Love always protects. You should have been a shield for that woman. You love her, you want to marry her one day, then you shield her, you guard her. You get jealous over protecting her and say, I will not allow you to be touched by me or by anyone else in any way that is inappropriate. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to watch. I'm going to be a wall of fire around you. I'm going to protect your virginity and your holiness and your cleanliness before the Lord. I will be a wall of fire around you. You are protected. It always perseveres. Because you know what? Sometimes it will get hard. 
Sometimes you will be burning in your heart. Come on, somebody. Sometimes there will be a fire down in your soul that says, I got to have this woman. But love always perseveres. I'm going to preach a sermon one day called Sexual Power. Because there is an anointing from the Holy Spirit that, that grants sexual power to his people. How many want an anointing of sexual power? I just want that anointing right now. God just release it over this house right now in the name of Jesus. An anointing of sexual power. You know what the anointing of sexual power does? It gives you power over your sexuality. It gives you power to rise up and say, sex doesn't make a demand of me. I make a demand of it. Because, because sexual, sexual sin has become the new image of Nebuchadnezzar in the modern world. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar built that statue and commanded the world to bow down to it. You must bow down to it. Listen, sexuality has been erected as the new image in our culture, and it's a demand. You must do this. You have to bow down. Don't you know you have to gratify yourself this? Don't you know you can't resist it? you got to get it somehow. It's idolatry. You have to have it. And all we're doing in the body of Christ is trying to see how long we can resist it. I made it three weeks this time. And then I went right back in before that idol and I bowed down. But I went three weeks without bowing down before that idol. That's pretty good, huh, Lord? No, it ain't good. Mm. God is raising up a generation that is armed with an anointing of sexual power. God wants to give you an anointing of power over your sexuality. The power that says, I'm not ruled by this, I rule it. The power that says, I'm not going to be taken down by this, I'm going to take it down. The power that says, I'm going to govern, I'm going to possess my body in sanctification and honor. I'm going to take authority over my body. My body's not going to take authority over me. Come on, somebody. Mm. Many of you here today are recognizing that your love is too narrow and your way is too broad. God's love is wide and his way is narrow. But some of you here today are recognizing, man, my love is so narrow that people who don't meet the following requirements are outside of me. I'll show you love as long as you meet the following requirements. But others of you are here and you're saying in your hearts, my way is way too broad. For the sake of love, what I've called love, I've opened my way up to all kind of stuff that I know is outside of the will of God, that I know God hates. I've tolerated stuff that I know God doesn't tolerate, but I've done it in the name of Jesus Christ because God is love. God's love never contradicts his holiness. Amen. Amen. And God's holiness never interrupts his love. Oh, He's able to do both perfectly Amen. and fully. Amen. It's not 50-50. Yeah. Half love and half holiness. It's 100-100. It's holy love. And if your love is not holy, it doesn't come from God. Thank you. God wants to give us holy love. 
a wide love and a narrow way. Some of you here are recognizing that the primary thing you need is simply to widen your love. It needs to include more people. It needs to include some folks that you've been having trouble forgiving. And rightly so, because they've harmed you in some ways that you never should have been harmed. They've hurt you in some ways that you never been you never should have been hurt. They compromised you. Some of you here have been defrauded. And even in the worst way. And you're wrestling with the scandal that God even loves the one who defrauded you. But God is inviting you to embrace that scandal with him. And to enter fully into it. He's here by the power of the Holy Spirit to offer you the power of supernatural forgiveness. To say, God, I forgive. Even as you forgive. God wants to widen your love and narrow your way at the same time. And the two are connected. Because as God removes sin from our lives, he also increases our love. Sin is the greatest hindrance to real love. God wants to teach us to love as he loved. He wants to impart his perfect love to us so that we might become perfect, even as our heavenly father is perfect. My question for you this morning is, are you ready to allow God to widen your love and narrow your way? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. We depend on you. Lord, you're putting your finger on this forgiveness thing this morning. There's some folks here today that have struggled to forgive for years. You said in your heart and mind, I just need to go through a process. Maybe I need some more healing. Maybe I need some more counseling. Maybe I need some more deliverance. Maybe I just need more time. I want to forgive, but I don't know why I can't do it. I want to let this person go. I want to get them, get this out of my heart and my mind because I know it's killing me, but I just don't know how. I, I need God to help me, and today God has come to help you. I can't just stop calling to mind what they've done to me. I can't stop remembering it. Some of you, you wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night as you recall what happened to you, what was done to you. Today, God is coming to widen your love. He's coming with the power of supernatural forgiveness. He's coming to touch your life. And this forgiveness issue goes so deep and it affects you in ways that you don't even know it affects you. You've been struggling with things and crying out to God, even repenting of stuff, and you don't realize that the root of it is unforgiveness. You've been repenting, but you actually need to be healed. God is coming to heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. The scripture says he's close to the brokenhearted. It's not that God takes that place where you've been hurt. It's not that he doesn't take it seriously. It's not that he doesn't hurt with you. It's not that... It's not that God is coming to you today saying, I don't care where you were hurt. I don't care what happened to you. I just love that person to the exclusion of you. Not at all. He's coming in the power of of his love to take you in his arms and say, son, daughter, I was there when you were being hurt. I heard every word. I saw everything they did. I wasn't absent from your life on that day. In fact, it was at that moment that I carried you. I was closer to you in that moment than I ever was before in your life. But I'm here right now to take you in my arms. I know you can't forgive in your own power, but I'm here to give you the power to do it. 
I'm here to give you the power to do it. And son, daughter, if you'd give that thing to me right now, I'll take it from you. You've carried it for long enough. It's not even hurting the person that you're angry at anymore. It's only hurting you. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and then waiting for the other person to die. God says, give me that poison. Let me take it from you. You're only hurting yourself. The cross of Jesus Christ, he bore not only the sin that was committed against you, but he bore in his body the effect of that sin in you. The pain that it caused you, the wound that it inflicted upon you, he's here to open up his hands and show you the nail prints in his hands. So you see these nail prints in in my hands. This is the place where I was hurt, where I was wounded. And I have a wound that looks just like your wound. I have a hurt that looks just like your hurt. Because on the cross, I was hurting with you. I was crying with you. I was broken with you. You weren't broken and I wasn't broken. The Lord says, I can forgive those who who hurt you because I forgave the ones who hurt me. Because on the cross with nails in my hands and feet, even as my life's blood was seeping out of my body, even as I was gasping for breath and knowing that my end was near, I didn't die without saying, Father, forgive them. The ones who beat me all night, Father, forgive them. The ones who betrayed me, he looked out in the crowd and saw people that he had healed, and they were crying out, crucify him. Folks that were there when he fed the 5,000, and they were crying out, crucify him. Folks that were there when he calmed the storm. Folks that were there when he healed blind Bartimaeus. Folks that were standing in the crowd when he healed the woman with the issue of blood. And they were crying out, crucify him, doing him wrong, betraying him. And he looked into their eyes and saw the betrayal, the rejection. But he looked into their eyes and he looked up to heaven and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Today the Father has come to take you by the hand and lead you to that place where Jesus came. Where you begin to say in your heart and mind, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive that person that harmed me. They didn't know what they were doing. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them. Forgive them. In the name of the Lord Jesus, the power of God to forgive is just sweeping over this auditorium right now. It's it's even going out through the live stream. Those who are watching, it's going out through the podcast. Those who are listening, Even those who are listening months and years after this message is being preached, the power of the Holy Spirit is sweeping over you right now, and he's taking it away. He's he's rooting out that unforgiveness, that fear. He's rooting out that bitterness. He's taking it from you right now. Just begin to release it. I want you to just begin to say with your mouth, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Forgive them. I release them. Come on, begin to say it. Begin to speak it. Begin to speak it. God, this is your freedom. This is your deliverance. God is taking it from you. It will never oppress you again. You're not going to carry that poison for another day. God is taking it out of your system. He's drawing it out of your blood. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hallelujah. God's taking you into the wideness of his love through forgiveness. Your love is widening. And your way is narrowing. Your way is narrowing. Others of you here today, somehow your way has widened. Your way has broadened beyond God. 
You've begun, allow, you've begun to allow things to walk the path with you that don't belong on the path with you. You've begun to, tr- to, to travel with things that you shouldn't be traveling with. Companions on your journey that are enemies and not friends. But you've made friends with them. And right now, you're going to recognize them for the enemy that they are. And you're going to say, Father, get this thing off of the path with me. I'm not walking the path with it anymore. Take me into the way of holiness. In Isaiah 35, he said, a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. And none shall walk up there but the pure in heart. God, take us into that way that only the pure in heart walk in. I pray it in Jesus' name. Come on, just begin to pray right now. Whatever that place of wideness is where you begin to tolerate stuff that God doesn't tolerate. You've begun, to, you've begun to compromise in places in your life where you've begun to provide an audience for stuff that is offensive to God. Stuff that God would never allow in His presence, you've allowed it in your presence. Stuff that God would never participate in, you've participated in it. You're coming out from among them right now. Come out from among them and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. Come out. You're coming out. There's a coming out. There's a coming out. A narrowing of your way right now. Come on, just begin to declare it. Your way is narrowing. Your love is widening. Your way is narrowing. And your your love is widening. Father, in the name of Jesus, do it by the power of your Holy Spirit right now. Every heart and every mind. 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 You're doing it right now. The power of your love. The power of your holy love. Mighty God, pour it out upon us today. Pour it out upon us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of your holy love. Your holy love. The fire of your love. The fire of your love comes to burn away all of the dross. Comes to burn away every work of the evil one. Comes to burn it away. Mm. Your love that's like a refiner's fire. speak your blessing father I speak your blessing father and I thank you that there's perfect understanding and there's perfect clarity I thank you that the words that you've given me to speak today are like seeds that have been planted deep in each and every heart and that by the power of the Holy Spirit the ground has been plowed the seed has gone down deep and the watering of the spirit has come and that this word is going to bear fruit in every life that extends far beyond this day It will extend far beyond even the memory of the message. It will extend far beyond even your ability to call the points of this message to mind. The word will not return to you void, Father. It will accomplish all that you've sent it to accomplish. And it will bear fruit some 30, 60, and 100 fold in each and every life. I declare it in Jesus' name and I thank you for it. Amen. 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 Come on, give God a shout of praise. Do you know how powerful this moment is? Amen. You're going to look back on this moment and remember that this was the day God took away your unforgiveness. This was the day that he widened your love and narrowed your way. This was the day. You're going to live differently now. You're going to walk differently now. You're going to experience life differently now. Amen. I, dec- I declare that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.